<coughs> open your Bibles there at Psalm 131. Now, a study uh, published in Psychological Science uh, in 2018, it revealed that people across the world have become more self-focused in recent years. Uh, according to the study, we are now a more individualistic world than a collectivist world. That is to say that our societies, especially in the Western world, are more self-reliant, more individualized, more self-centered than in the past. Now, a large reason for this, of course, uh, is that there is a root of self-centeredness in our society because we live in economic structures that promote self-centeredness. That's part of the reason. The underlying premise uh, of the market system that underpins the way we interact in our society is self-interest. That's Adam Smith's invisible hand. The idea that as you focus on yourself, well, you promote the good of everyone. And in the market, the consumer is sovereign. Uh, she's always right. And so it is not a surprise that because the economic life is a huge part of our lives, it's not a surprise that the rest of life we believe, I am what matters most in life. I am the center of the universe. This thinking of autonomy has become very paramount in everything we do in our society. And so the more economically prosperous we become, the more technologically advanced we have become, the more self-reliant, the more self-admiring we have become in our society. This is a big challenge, isn't it? for us as followers of Jesus. How should we, as followers of Jesus, live in a country, in a world where we are constantly tempted to live self-focused lives? Where we are taught to worship ourselves. How should we do? How should we respond to this challenge? Well, to help us answer this question, look at me there at Psalm 131, uh, which we are looking at this evening. Uh, as I said before, this is the Psalm of Ascent, and it was written by King David, this particular Psalm of Ascent. Uh, we do not know when David wrote it, but at some point in David's life, or perhaps after David's life, it was added to the collection of the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent, of course, are songs which were sung by pilgrims on their way to Zion or Jerusalem. They would have sung this, actually, during the time of David, but we tend to associate them, especially with uh, after uh, during the time of the exile. The songs of ascent are not songs of self-motivation. They are not that. These are songs actually that encourages us to look to God, to look to God as our hope. Look at the final verse there on verse three, which we uh, will come to later. But just to flag that up. Uh, Psalm 131, verse 3 there, what does it say? O Israel, hope in the Lord. Not in the self. Hope in the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore. So these are songs that point us to hope in God. Now, what I want to do this evening is, I want us to look at Psalm 131 in its total. Uh, because David in this psalm actually answers the question we are asking. How should we live in a society, in a world that tempts us to be self-focused. And David answers this question in this psalm. Three answers David gives us. The first answer this evening 
is this. We are meant to rest on God, not on ourselves. Straightforward. How should we live in a self-focused world? Well, we are meant to rest on God. That's the first truth we see in this psalm. Now, a few years ago, the BBC published an article on their website. And the purpose of this article was to help young people uh, who are feeling rubbish about themselves. That's exactly what the article says. This article is to help young people who are feeling rubbish about themselves. It says the best way for you to respond when you feel rubbish about yourself, perhaps because you see somebody doing better than you, or somebody seems to be getting away with something, or you just feel horrible about yourself as a young person, according to the BBC, the best way to respond uh, is to love yourself more. That's the answer. So if you're feeling rubbish about yourself, the BBC says no. Respond to it by not feeling down, but respond by even loving yourself more. Right? And here are the tips that Adko gives us uh, to love yourself more. I'll just give you three of these. The first tip, right? It says, to love yourself more, what should you do? Well, give yourself a hug. <laughs> literally. Yeah. I mean, literally, that's what it says. Give yourself a hug. Fold your hands around your body, right? And give yourself a squeeze. I haven't tried that, but it's, uh, it's interesting. Uh, it says, you play the most important role in your wellness and uh, in your life. And hugging yourself, says the article, can help you to remind yourself of your inner power, according to this article. The second tip it gives us is this. Talk to yourself, it says. It says, a familiar voice is all we need in life. Right? <laughs> and so record a voice note and remind yourself you're doing great. Record something that says, I am enough. <coughs> so if you keep playing that and uh, you feel good about yourself and uh, you don't feel any more rubbish, that's what it says. The third tip uh, is interesting uh, and it's not a surprise. Uh, it says, prioritize yourself. Uh, give yourself the attention, the time, and the energy that you deserve by dedicating 15 minutes a day to yourself. And so, that is the answer to the BBC of how should we live in a world which is self-focused? Well, its answer is, be more self-focused yourself, right? Uh, when we feel down, we should love ourselves even more. In other words, what it's really saying is, we should worship ourselves to keep up with people around us. Now, King David, who had everything many of us desire in life, had learned that's not the way to live. He had learned a different, a better way to live. And he tells us how we should live in this short poem or this short prayer. Look at this one, how we should respond. He said, how did David respond? He says this in verse 1. Lord, my heart is not haughty. No, my eyes lofty. The phrase not haughty means I am not proud, David is saying. Pride is self-worship, isn't it? The prideful person has no room for God because the prideful person is full of himself. David is saying to God, I am not trying to live independent of you. I am not trying to worship myself. My heart is set on you. I am resting on you. 
And to emphasize this point, David goes on to say to God this. Look at verse 1 again. He says this. Lord, my heart is not haughty, verse 1, nor my eyes lofty. He then says this. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Now, David is not saying that he lacks ambition. Some people read this and think David is saying I have no ambition in life. No, no, that's not what David is saying. He's not saying he lacks ambition or he has no talent to be great in life. I mean, that would not be David, would it? Right? David lived in a high gear. Right? He was a military genius. He defeated all Israel's enemies and captured Jerusalem. That's David who did that. It is David who wanted to build the first temple. He lived in Tokyo. He had ambitions for God. So the key to understand what David is saying is, is in the last word of verse 1. Look at that. And the word of the book there is me. He says, Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. What is David saying? David is saying to God, I know the limits you have set for me. And I am content to live within those limits. I will only do what you, O Lord, want me to do. I am renouncing myself well. I am waving my white flag of surrender. I am like a wind child with his mother. I want what you want for me. Look at this too. Surely I have come and quietened my soul like a wind child with his mother. Like a wind child is my soul within me. A wind child, of course, is a baby that has been disciplined by his mother to no longer drink the mother's milk he once thought he could not do without. Right? The wind child in verse 2 is calm and quiet with his mother. Because he is happy to wait for his mom to feed him when she thinks it's the right time. At one point, this child, you see, must have felt rejected by his mother when she withdrew breast milk from him and made him wait. But not anymore. This is a wind child. The child has moved from self-obsession and restlessness to rest and satisfaction in his mother's arms. David is saying, this is how I am with God. David is saying to God, I am now your winged child. I love being in your arms. Not for me, for you. I am no longer living to have myself. I am resting in your arms, David is saying. And you know, all children of God are meant to be like David. We are meant to abandon self-focus and rest in the loving care of God in Christ. That's all I mean to do. Now, if we're honest, Resting on God like David is difficult. It is hard for us to only want what God wants for us. It's hard for us. It's hard for us to only want what God wants us to have and when He wants us to have it. It's hard being like that. 
And the reason it is difficult is that even though as followers of Jesus, we have received a new heart, we are still growing in trusting the character of God. You hear what I said? We are still growing in trusting the character of God. You see, every act of submission comes down to whether we can trust the other person with our lives. Can I trust the doctor tomorrow with the operation? If I do, I go ahead with the operation if I trust the doctor. Can I trust the pilot to fly me safely from this city to that city? If I can, I happily get on the plane and put my life in his hands. Listen, there are planes that I've never flown. <laughs> my wife and I, when we're traveling, she's like, we're take this airline to go to Zambia. I'm like, I'm not taking that one. I only fly big showers. I trust that. I'm not going to some airlines I haven't heard about. Right? We only do it. If, if we have to trust the pilot, not me, for us to get on the plane. And this is also true with God, isn't it? When we know that God means well for us, will gladly abandon self us and surrender ourselves in the loving hands of God. And that is why we must take to heart the second answer of this psalm. How do we live in a world that is self-focused? Well, the first answer is what? We are meant to rest on God, right? But the second thing is this. We are meant to rest on God. Why should we rest on God? Well, we are meant to rest on God because God cares for us. That's the second truth. We are meant to rest on God because He cares for us. King David has absolute confidence that he can trust God with his life because David believes God cares for him like a mother. It's one of the few images in the Bible. So if you turn the Bible, we have this image of God as a caring mother. Look at this. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a wind child with his mother. Like a wind child is my soul within me. Some of you here are mothers, aren't you? You know the depth of love you have for your children. And you would move every and every to do the best for You would. Grandmothers, same thing. You would move every and every to care for your grandchildren. And David here is saying to God, you care for me so deep like a mother. He's not calling God a mother. He's saying you care for me like a mother. You are patient, gentle, and sacrificial. Your love for me leaves no stone unturned, David is saying. David is resting on God like this because, you see, David has experienced this intimate care of God in his life. And he wrote about this care of God in the world famous Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And that psalm reflects the care David had experienced in his life. He can look back to a time when, 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 when Absalom was after him and God cared for him. When the lion was after him, God cared for him. There are many times in David's life when God had proved himself. So God, David had experienced his intimate care of God in his own life. But you see, David does not just know that God cares for, for him from experience. It is good that David knew that experientially. 
But there's another reason why David was confident that God cares for him. He knew God cared for him, for him, as a matter of revealed truth about God. And this is what he focuses on actually in this. The God of Israel, you see here, is his name is Yahweh. And David uses that name on purpose here. It's three times. Twice we see it. At the beginning and at the end. Lord in capital letters. That's Yahweh. Lord, my heart is not haughty. Look at this three. Oh Israel, oh in the Lord. You see that? From this time forth and forever. He's saying, I am trusting Yahweh. Why? What does this name Yahweh mean? Well, Exodus 3 tells us, isn't it? God explains his name to Moses uh, in Exodus 3 when he appears to Moses at the burning bush. Moses asks him, Who should I tell the people of Israel I sent me? Well, I am who I am. That's how God responds. Basically, the name Yahweh is the same as I am who I am. And that name reveals two things. There are two important things you need to know about that. When we come across this name Yahweh in Scripture, first of all, this name reveals who God is. He's a self-existent, self-sufficient, unchanging, all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful God. He is I am who I am. Is Yahweh. So it reveals who God is. Secondly, this name actually is a covenant name. What do I mean by that? Well, God doesn't need a name. God has no identity problems. He doesn't need to know that, like I need to know my name is Chola. God doesn't need to know that. He doesn't need to know, he doesn't need to call himself anything. God gave this name as an act of love. He gave his name to Israel so that they can relate to him. God called himself Yahweh as a name for Israel to, to use in worshipping him. Yahweh is a covenant name. It is reminding Israel that God is their committed and caring God. And so when David calls on God, Yahweh, Yahweh, my heart is not hot. Or when he says to Israel, verse Oh Israel, hope in Yahweh. What is he saying? Well, David is saying to God, You are the reason I can rest in you. It is not simply because of what you do for me. But what I've seen you do for me. Oh Yahweh, I am resting in you because your very nature is that you are the true God who has bound his very self to me. You are my caring Yahweh, he said. Through thick and thin, you remain Yahweh to me. I can trust you, you see, because all your attributes, all who you are, are for me. You are my covenant, Yahweh. You are my timeless, never-changing, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present care. You know what? The good news of the Bible is that this caring God, Yahweh, has put on the rags of our human flesh in the person of Jesus. Jesus is Emmanuel. He is Yahweh with us. 
You see, Jesus is the very caring heart of God on full display. You know, when we read the, through the gospel accounts about our Lord Jesus, what do we see, beloved, when we read those accounts? We see Jesus walking around Israel. What is he doing? He's dishing out divine care, isn't it? Our Lord Jesus is caring for people who know who no one else has time for. He is healing the sick. He's making the lepers clean. He's raising the dead. He's driving out demons. He's bringing dead souls to life. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. In Jesus, the infinite God has shrunk, you see, to become one of us. Why? So that he can lift us up in our flesh. Like a caring man. And minister to us in our deepest moments. And we know our Lord Jesus cares for us. Because Jesus went to the cross, you see. To take care of the biggest problem that you and I have. What is that problem? Our separation from God. Because of our sin, you see. All human beings by nature are born separated from the full comprehensive care of God over our lives. Now, everyone still benefits from divine care. There's such a thing as common grace that God teaches us. And it is passion. You see, sinners are, are like a rebellious teenager living in the house, Right? He's always in his room, right? He never gets out to talk to his parents or other siblings. But at certain times of the day, we see him always in the fridge, right? <laughs> always taking his head out. He's benefiting from his parents, right? But he's missing out on many other blessings of being in the family. That's how human beings are. We benefit from God's common grace. But God in Christ offers us much more than just us going to the fridge here and there. He offers us fellowship. And because of our sin, we cut ourselves from that. But our situation is much worse than that. We're not just cut off from God. We are also under His everlasting punishment. And we will suffer in hell forever because of our sin. Because you see, God is holy and He is just. He must punish all sinners. But the good news of Jesus is that God has come to restore us to himself. God, we've broken God's law. Christ has come to pay the penalty of our rebellion. God has come and says, look, let us be family again. Repent, turn to me. God himself has taken the initiative. He has done something we couldn't do. He has become our mediator. He has laid down his life for the penalty we deserve. To end our exile from him. You see, on the cross, Jesus took on the full weight. Because you see, Jesus is fully God and fully man. A man must pay the price. A holy, a perfect man. Jesus means that. But not just a man to pay the price. He must be God. He must be God who pays the price. Because only God can bear in his body the very wrath and judgment of an infinite God. You and I are too small to bear the wrath of God. 
And that's why hell is a very serious thing, dear friend. Unless you repent and turn to Jesus, you are choosing to bear in your body the very wrath and judgment you deserve. You are too small for that. And praise the Lord, you don't have to bear that because Christ has come. He has led his own life on that chopping block of divine wrath, as it were. And he has done that so that if it will repent of our sin and trust in his death on that cross, well, God in Christ will forgive your sin and restore you to himself. Is it in Jesus Christ, our Prince of Peace? All the attributes of God, you see, that stood against us to torment us in hell forever, now stands for us to nature and care for us as his very own. If you're trusting in Jesus, you have a new permanent relationship with God who gives himself to you to nourish and care for you in every moment. The singer, Whitney Houston, who some of us here may know, uh, sang that song, didn't she? The greatest love of all. And in that song, she says this. Everybody is searching for a hero. People need someone to look up to. And then she says this. I have never found anyone who fulfilled my needs. Who fulfilled my needs. A lonely place to be. And so I learned to trust on me. To depend on me, she says. Whitney is saying that she, she, she never had anyone in her life, a person who genuinely cared for her as a mother cares for the needs of her children. And she acknowledged that she tried to look for such a person. And her life, if you know something about Whitney Houston's life, her life was a relentless search for someone who could be her, who could be that to her. But she gave up searching, she says in this song. Instead, she decided to spend all her energy simply to cope with life on her own. And that is what many people do, you see. Have you ever wondered why our politicians have so many sexual affairs? It is because there is an empty hole in their life that power and fame cannot satisfy. Have you ever wondered why the rich who are billions still want that extra billion? Well, they have a hole in their heart which money cannot buy. Have you ever wondered why politicians with so many achievements still want to go for that extra time in office if they can? Well, they have a hole in their heart which the people's adoration cannot even satisfy. They are searching, you see, for this lasting divine care. That, beloved, we have that we have in Jesus. It is already ours. The care of God that has the infinite capacity to satisfy every human heart. That's what they are searching for. And praise the Lord in Christ, we already have it. You see, no matter how much money people have, no matter how much people love them, no matter how much power they wield in life, they can never be satisfied without Jesus in them. And friend, that is true for you. No matter how successful you become, no matter 
how academically brilliant you get. Without Jesus, your life is wasted. You know, Augustine of Hippo recognized this truth, and he was brilliant. And later on, he wrote his confessions, and he, he said it like this He said to God, You have made me, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Beloved, if you are trusting in Jesus this evening, you have this God that has power to satisfy you. The divine carer has found you in Christ. And in Jesus, he lives in you through the power of the Holy Spirit and is satisfying you every day. Like a mother cares for her child, God in Christ is showering all his love on your life to nature and care for you. To ensure you are provided for in everyone. Your responsibility is simple. Whatever situation you are in, you now need to rest in this God who cares for you. That's what you need to do. How do we do that? Well, that brings us to the last truth. It will end in this. So, truth number one. How do we live in a self-focused society? First of all, we are meant to rest on God. Why? Well, truth number two. We are meant to rest on God because God cares for us in Christ. So, what is our response then? What are we meant to do? Well, we must rest in God through divine training. That's the third and final truth. We must rest in God through divine training. I'll explain that in a moment. How has David come to rest in God, according to this psalm? Well, he is first of all through divine effort. Look at this thing. This who tells us. Surely I have come and quieted my soul like a winged child with his mother, like a winged child is my soul within me. At first reading of this verse, it sounds like David is saying, I have done this all myself, doesn't it? It sounds like he's saying, I've made myself like this. Now, David is certainly not a bystander. Keep that thought in your head. But by David using the image of a winged child, he is implicitly saying, God has made me become like this. Right? No baby one day thinks to themselves, I have decided from now on, I will no longer drink mom's milk. Nah. <laughs> That's not a normal baby. It's called winning for a purpose, isn't it? It is the mother who wins of the baby. Look, if our mothers didn't win us, some of us would still be drinking milk. Right? It's winning because it's done by the mother. Right? So when David says in verse 2, Surely I have come and quieted my soul like a winged child with his mother. Like a winged child is my soul within me. What is David saying? He's saying to God, You have made me rest on you. Like a mother with a winged child, God started the process in David. We grow as children of God by God training us, you see, to abandon self-obsession and to start living for Him. I call it divine training, right? How does this divine training look like in practice? Well, 
God works on our hearts like a mother. To win a child of mom's milk to something better starts with what? Withdrawing mom's milk from him. Right? Mothers. Right? That's how it works, right? Well, I saw a little what my, my wife was doing. I think that's how it works. They withdraw a bit of milk, right? And it's difficult, actually, I just said, for husband to watch that process. Because the baby is crying and you're like, oh, give us some milk, give us some milk. And the man knows best, so they're withdrawing that milk. Now, as time passes, as the milk is being withdrawn, the baby starts enjoying new food, right? And starts resting on his mother's chest without constant feeding because he knows he is loved. And this is the same process God does in our hearts, you see? He trains us to rest in him or honor him by first graciously withdrawing some blessings we enjoy in life. It takes away the good, the milk of good health. It removes the dependency of a marriage or the dependency of a good friend. It withdraws the comfort of good finances. It's painful when God does that. But that is the way of God. Because God, you see, is introducing such painful losses in your life to win you off from depending on those things so you can depend only on Him. As I said, during those times, it is difficult. Babies find it difficult when they are being weaned off. It's the same with us. During those withdrawing months, it feels like God has withdrawn from us. There's a lot of tears. There's a lot of heartache in our lives during those moments. God seems like he's hiding his loving face from us during those withdrawing times. Our prayers seem to be hitting a brick wall. But friends, just as the baby discovers over time that the mother means well, we also discover through our tears before God that he is our divine care. And as we cry to him, we find ourselves proving God we find ourselves proving the words of David in this. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a wind child with his mother. Like a wind child is my soul within. The trials of life, you see, knock us off our feet. But what do they do? They land us back on our knees before God. As God trains us through withdrawal of comforts and Blessings we are moved from self-obsession and impatience to waiting on Him, waiting on God. His divine training of us is growing us into a windy child of God. A child that is content to just being in the loving hands of God. Not being with God because of the milk He gives us, but because we just want to be with Him. And this training of God, His sanctification is, it is the work of God. What is our responsibility? Our responsibility is to cooperate with Him. We want the child to cooperate with the man in the same way we, we should be cooperating with God. And this is why David emphasizes his personal responsibility in this. Look at this thing. Surely, I have come and quietened my soul, like a wind child with his mother, 
like a wind child is my soul within me. David is saying, I have cooperated with the Lord to make me reliant on Him. I have surrendered to His will in my life. I am now His wind child. Now, this is amazing, isn't it? Reading this about David, beloved. We don't know when David made this assessment in his life. But I have a feeling, I'd be interested to know your opinion after. I have a feeling he may have been after his sexual sin with Bathsheba. You see, in his prayer of repentance, in Psalm 51, David prayed to God to make him just like this. To make him just like the man that is in this song of ascent. Let me just give you some flavor. Psalm 51, verse 11 to 12, he says this. Creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then in verse 17 he says this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you not despise. It certainly looks like that prayer was answered, isn't it? And the key point is that David realized that he had responsibility to cooperate with God. And to drive on this point of individual responsibility, notice how David ends this prayer in Samaria 31. He ends it with a call on Israel, his people, to rest on God completely. Look at this. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Verse 3 is a call on all the people of God to resist any temptation to live a self-focused life, any temptation to depend on ourselves, and to persevere in surrendering wholeheartedly to God. You see, truly resting on God like this is going to cost you. It's going to cost you. Because it is part of the divine training that costs but we must not be discouraged. It is all part of God's willingness. Some of you know this from personal experience. You have experienced terrible heartache, which made you question God's love. Perhaps this moment you are questioning God's love. Or you questioned it this morning, and yet as you come here this evening, you are recognizing God is at work. Because in the middle of that heartache, in the middle of your tears, God strangely draws you close to himself. You learn to depend more on him, not on yourself. You have proved God. You have proved God's word. Surely, surely, David says, I have come and quieted my soul like a wind child with his mother. Like a wind child is my soul within me. Some of us here are perhaps, as I say, currently going through deep personal suffering. We are suffering setbacks. We are wondering, where is God in our struggles? What is God doing? The answer to your question, whatever you are experiencing in this moment, is verse 2. This is what God is doing in verse 2. Surely, I have come and quieted my soul like a winged child with his mother. Like a winged child is my soul within me. God has brought you in this difficult circumstance, beloved, because 
God is bringing these circumstances to help you live for Him in a self-focused world. He's allowing difficulties to win you off self-focus. You see, problems in our lives always changes our relationship with God. They always do. They are either driving us closer to God or they are driving us far away from God. The same is true also for the blessings we enjoy. Blessings can either make us bow down in worship. Worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by your hand they were made. Including the blessings I have. They can either do that, or they can make you bow down to yourself. Like Nebuchadnezzar. Aren't I really great? And I've done all these things. Today, let us resolve that whatever our situation is, in good or bad times, we live for God, no matter the cost. We'll do what God is saying in this way. Oh Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Resolve today to rest on God when your life looks like it is falling apart. And when you look like you're rebuilding your life for the better. You need to trust God in poor situations. Rest on God when you are weeping and mourning from a terrible loss. And do it when you are laughing with joy and you feel you have it all together. Rest on God when you are silent by yourself and when you are with loved ones. Rest on God in times of trouble in your life and in times of peace. Let us resolve to do this because we truly belong to God. We have a new nature in Christ. Living for self is no longer our default in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we have a new heart that wants us to submit to the divine training to grow and become more like the winged child of Psalm 131. Yes, we will still sin with self-focus from time to time. But if we are truly born of God, we want to grow in resting on God and not ourselves. But if after hearing this this evening, if after hearing this you're still refusing to rest on God, here you've left three truths, haven't you? We are meant to rest on God. Why? Because God cares for us. How do we do it? Through divine training. If after hearing all of these things, you still don't want to rest on God. If there is no genuine plea from you to God to change you, you, you are not truly converted. And in that situation, you're still dead in your sins and your end is everlasting. God will not share life with any self-worship. says, those who think too much of themselves don't what? How does she finish? Those who think too much of themselves don't think enough, she says. And I would add that they don't think enough of God's terrible judgment that awaits those who are self-focused. So let us ensure as we leave this place today, we live with repentant hearts that are resting on this amazing God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm.